Welcome to another episode of the Souvenirs Podcast. Let me introduce you to third generation ranch guest and homeowner, Kathy Hurst. We sat down at her grandparents' home located right here at the ranch. Kathy's family spent many holidays and spring break vacations here, and she continues to enjoy her home away from home right here at the ranch. Let's hear from Kathy about her stories of life at the ranch. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Susie. Let's start with, what is your earliest recollection of the ranch? Uh, my earliest recollection of the ranch, I think there's several things that pop to mind at first. Lots of time in the kids' program. At one point, Jody Anderson, another guest and homeowner here, was the kids' counselor. And I think she was my kid counselor at this time, but um, we spent a lot of great time in the desert playing games, riding horses, a lot of time in the ring, and a lot of cookouts. When At that time, when I was a child, we used to have breakfast cookouts that we would ride to early hours, and sometimes barely sun up, <laughs> taking off when we were kids. We'd ride, yeah, we rode, used to ride out to a place called Skyline and have breakfast. How old were you then? Oh my gosh. I mean, I started coming when I was six, and I remember those early days in the ring a lot, but I don't think I really got to ride out in the desert until I was eight. But learning to ride and spending a lot of time at the corral, I have really good memories of that, and a lot of scavenger hunts all over. Did your family come every year? We came every year, two weeks at Christmas, and about 10 days in the spring from Indianapolis, Indiana. We would fly out. I remember flying into the Phoenix airport. It was still a small, pink, yes, pink adobe <laughs> terminal. And we got off and walked down a flight of steps down to the tarmac and walked up to the building. But I, yeah, we were small. How many in your family? Four. There were four. Mom and Dad, Needham and Mary Lou Hurst, and my younger brother, Rick Hurst, and I found some pictures recently of the two of us together here, and I'm pretty sure we're six, and he's pro- I'm six, and he's probably close to five. We're 18 months apart, six, so six and four. How did your parents find the ranch? Mom and Dad came here with my grandparents, Marion and Jean Beasley from Indianapolis, and, and the whole way my grandparents got here, I, interesting enough, I've been speaking with my uncle, Uh, My mother's younger brother and only sibling, Mark Beasley, recently about this. He remembers my grandparents learning about... I have some notes here, Susie, because this is new to me, and he just sent this to me a couple days ago, that my grandfather, probably the late, like, 1947, he and my grandmother traveled to a guest ranch in southern Arizona on the uh, Arizona-Mexico border called La Osa in S-A-S-A, would you say? Sasabi, Arizona. Yeah, Sasabi, Arizona. La Osa in Sasabi, Arizona. And they first came there in the late 40s. And we haven't pieced it together yet, and I don't know if we'll be able to, but they met at that ranch, Aiken Fisher, who he and his wife, Jane Fisher, were where the spa is today. That was the Fisher home, and that was part of the early building of the homes, you know, here at Lost Cab. So, um, yeah, so my uncle has distinct memories. 
I don't know how old he was, but he um, he remembers them telling you know they he went there. What I was going to tell you too, my grandmother Beasley came to Arizona for the first time in about 1910. 1911 came out on a train from Elyria, Ohio with her mother and father and her two brothers because somebody in the family wasn't well and they got off the train in and around somewhere in Mesa and went and stayed at a ranch there but it she told me now this is a story my grandmother told me that she was excited because they were going to see ostriches they're staying at a ranch that was across the street from an ostrich farm. Think of the time frame. Why? All the women's great big hats with the ostrich feather plumes, right? Was the big rage. And there was an ostrich farm ranchy thing somewhere <laughs> south of me. I know. I can't believe it. Is that a wild story? And I almost didn't believe it, but yeah. Yeah, she said it was, it was, you know, everybody had to have a big hat with an ostrich plume feather. And I'm like, okay, that's the feather in the hat. <laughs> interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, so that, they befriended the Fishers that they mm -hmm. met out at De La Salle. They befriended the Fishers, and Aiken Fisher told my grandfather and grandmother about Lost Cab. And that's how they ended up coming to Lost Cab. And they further got introduced to it from another guest ranch in Wyoming called A Bar A, which there's a lot of history, of course, because of Edie and Dallas's involvement in the Andersons, ownership, all of that with A Bar A. My grandparents were there too. But by the time I got here, let's see, I was born in 56. So by the time I got here, approximately, you know, 62, they were already well-established winter months here. They were coming to the ranch on a regular basis and staying at the ranch as guests at that point. So they had not purchased this lot and built this home yet which happened in 69, 70. So. What did you think about the ranch? What did you think about the desert? Well, I loved it. Who wouldn't love the Wild West? You know, cowboy stories were a big thing then. I mean, it's so much fun, right, with Yellowstone on it. If Yellowstone has done nothing else, the TV series, it has reignited the passion for the West and for the cowboy way of life. And so for a girl from the Midwest, could there be anything more different? Then the floral, the fauna, the desert, the cactus, which my grandmother loved, and she taught all of the grandchildren about it. Did you so, wear Western apparel? I, absolutely. Boots, everything. Did you wear it when you went home? Yes. I did wear it when I went home, you know, because it was so different. So, yeah, we all, we, yeah, we had our Western apparel. We would wear it when we went home. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, but we, yeah, we all had got our boots branded. You know, at Christmas time, we put our boots out at the fireplace, at the ranch house. You probably heard that from other people. And we got an apple or an orange and the game ball or the little trinket balls that were tissue paper balls. So we got an apple or an orange and one of these trinket, I'll call it. It's sort of like a um, fancy cracker jack box trinket. I know. And you, it's a big ball of crepe paper. And as you unroll the crepe paper surprises would fall out okay. so you'd unroll it and roll it and roll it so you'd end up with this little pile of you know little trinket things that <laughs> no <laughs> right as mothers and grandmothers now we all look at like oh more little trinket things to step on in the middle of the night but yeah <laughs> it was great what can you tell me about so, those high school years so i grew up with um the armstrong kids and the reeds and Susie 
and um, there were Berlins. I can't believe I never, Doug Spencer and I laugh. We don't know how we missed each other. We're pretty much the same age. We never met each other. I met his cousins, the Ferrars, I think are his cousins. And my brother's a good friend of, of his cousin. So yeah, there's a whole group of people that I grew up here. And if you would interview my brother, I know he would tell you about the time that we had a small go-kart that wasn't street legal. It was more what we would now probably say, oh, well, that's a, that's a souped-up ATV. But it was a little fiberglass dune buggy, two-seater, had a roll bar. My brother was old enough to drive it. Doesn't mean that he was 16, because it wasn't street legal. But we were at the ranch, so we were okay, right? We could <laughs> sort whatever we want. Oh, and this, this is all pre-golf course stuff. No golf course yet, no golf club. So um, he took my cousin Mike, who is 10 years, 12, 10 years younger than him. So Mike must have been six. So maybe Rick was close to six, 15, 14, and loaded him in. The two of them went out into the desert. Now, my aunt and uncle were just a little bit nervous that Rick had done that. And as it got darker and darker, and the sun was going toward the west, and the afternoon was going into darkness, and they weren't back. Rusty quickly went up in his plane and located him because they had gotten that dune buggy stuck, and they were out in the middle of the desert. And then My, Rusty came back. He knew right where they were, and they went out and got him rescued, and everything was fine. Everybody was okay, and the dune buggy disappeared. <laughs> My grandfather made that dune, you know, dune buggies can evaporate out in the All sorts of things evaporate out in the desert. <laughs> And that little glorified ATV slash dune buggy of the 60s disappeared. Yeah, it was gone. No, we had a lot of fun. A lot of good, safe fun. We did a lot of, of um, campfires, you know, bonfires out in the desert. That was pretty common. None of, you know, there's a lot more homes and golf course now, but there didn't used to be, be the golf course right out here. This is hole three. That's where the horses grazed for a long time. Yeah. You know, the, the, everything was right here, so it didn't take much to get out and find a good place for a bonfire, which we did Did you go frequently. into town at all? A little bit, but I, yeah, not as much. Yeah, when I got older in college age, you know, and I could, we could get in, we would go in town and go dancing, and that was fun, and go to the bars, and um, a lot of square dances. There were a lot of squirting and, and everybody and tons of gymkhanas. So there was a there was an, a different kind of activities. There was tennis always, and I, my brother and I happened to play a lot of tennis. So that was fun, and we rode horses every day, and sometimes twice a day. So that was always going on. So really, the, between the gymkhanas, they taught us to ride well enough that we, I did barrel races, stake races, ribbon races. We used to ride, believe it or not, when Ramuda Ranch was around. We would ride from here to Ramuda. That's a long way. That's you know, on the other side of Wickenburg. It took us all day, and we'd all cross at once. A great big line of horses riding to Ramuda cross 60. That was a big deal to get across the highway, right? And if you think about between Lost Cab now and the Safeway Grocery, None of that was there, not even the safe. Well, the Safeway used to be on the other side where Goodwill is. That used to be, that was the first Safeway. But none of that was there. 
none of that was there. And I can remember my grandmother being so upset that she could look out these windows and she saw lights because for decades she looked out here, saw no lights, nothing, no high school, no Dell Webb Center, none of that. So that, that, that development is a big change, it was a big change for her. Were there any wildlife so, encounters? Always rattlesnakes. Always that. I do have, I'm, I'll have to dig it up for you. I have a, my grandmother liked to know how to shoot a gun and she could shoot and she had a six shooter, an actual six shooter, which is amazing, and a shotgun and she was pretty good with it. And she, I have a picture of her holding up and she's so funny because I always call it her Florida look and her white polyester pants and her 60s or 70s print kind of blouse and her pearls on I'm sure and her sunglasses and this bouffant hair and in her in her right hand she's holding a six shooter and in her left hand she has a small hand rake and is holding up the rattlesnake she just shot and she's got her arms straight out now she was short she was only five feet but still it part of it's over the rake the top third and then it's down to the ground so it was a pretty good rattlesnake and she shot it out here on her porch. And I want to see that picture. I know. I'll, I'll get that picture for you. Yeah, is that a riot? That yeah, is. there's the, my grandmother holding up the snake with the hair. You know, the big yeah. hair days. Yeah. It was just a riot. So your grandparents she, decided to put roots down here. Yeah, they did. They relocated here half the year, I would say. They did not um, sell their home in Indianapolis, but they did. They spent a good... Well, my grandmother pretty much came in 1st of October, and we dragged her kicking and screaming back to Indianapolis in May. <laughs> so she, more and more, she spent the majority of the time here. And my, uh, sadly, my grandfather passed away in the winter of 76, so he did not get to enjoy this home for near as long as uh, my grandmother did. And um, But lots of fond memories here with them. And we, um, you know, we... We all have been coming out, so uh, my grandparents' grandparent name was Tootie and Dompy. So Tootie and Dompy introduced us to the, their entire family, and all of their family has just kept sharing it and having it come out with the next generation. So we're to the fifth generation now in this house, and kind of can't believe that. And but, you started yeah. bringing your children out? Uh-huh. I brought my children out as babies. We all have pictures of, of my children who are now 42 and 40 and all of them. Did and you they, come out during and, Christmas or what time? We came out mostly in the spring more than at Christmas. We stopped, yeah, when the boys were really little, we spent Christmas at home. And then my uncle, Mark Beasley, and his family started coming out more at Christmas than they, they were originally. And it just sort of worked out that way. And so Heather and Mike, my two cousins, started spending more Christmas time out here. What do you remember about the food? <laughs> I remember we got in big trouble because that is one naughty thing we shouldn't have done. And the pastry chef was very patient with us. But um, I think it's probably what produced Rusty to start locking the kitchen door. But we would go in and help ourselves to the baked goods, especially the cookies in the middle, like at midnight. So they'd come in the morning to put out a plate of cookies and 
naughty children had been in eating them in the middle of the night because you could walk into the kitchen, right? So mm -hmm. the food was fantastic. And there was always a baked Alaska every Sunday. And the buffet table was overfilling. And everything you can imagine from salads to meats for sandwiches to hot items and the pastry buffet. It was a buffet. <laughs> It was insane. It was insane. It was definitely a highlight. And definitely a highlight. And the freezing cold pool. We all went swimming in the freezing cold pool. Yeah. Do you remember Edie? I do remember. I remember Edie well. Very well. She was a good friend of my grandmother's. Good friend of my grandmother Beasley's. And I think living next door, that really helped too. So Edie did an amazing, kept an amazing legacy going. I have a distinct memory. You asked some, an early memory. You'll laugh at this. It, maybe you know. The year, is it John Glenn that circled the earth? That year, the only television at the ranch was in the Palo Verde room, which is now the exercise room, which is where we did everything. We square danced in that room. That was the everything, the catch-all room. There was no Sonoran room at that time. No, no. None of that was there. And the Palo Verde room is the workout room, was the room we hung out in. A lot when you're in the kids program and it was also the only TV which was black and white on the whole ranch that we had access to and no telephones that was the whole thing no telephones it's fine with me I didn't miss any of it but we watched that must have happened and I'm thinking it happened in February I was here at sort of an off time for some reason with my parents we were here and I remember watching that you could hear him you could watch the blast off <laughs> And I remember that, and I don't know what year it was. I don't know. You're making me think of some really, just think of all those fun things that we used to do that come up. Peso dollar, peso dollar, and the counterfeit bills. That's the full name of the band. Don't forget, and the counterfeit bills, because that's the name of the band. And Peso was a retired Maricopa County Sheriff, and he looked every bit the part of the Marlboro Man. And that's really dating myself that I would use that as the, like, looks like a cowboy. A very tall, trim John Wayne. <laughs> Taller than Kevin Costner as the cowboy man. Okay. Great voice. He would play like Caroline and um, the guys play, you know, Dick. And he would come and sing. But he came in from Phoenix because he lived down in Phoenix. And at New Year's, which was always a bucket of fun, he and the counterfeit bills would come and play New Year's Eve, right? So we would play and dance down there in, in the saloon, in the bar area. But he used to sing a couple songs, and I cannot sing them for you, nor will I, but he, he always um, would sing a song called Little Green Men. And it was very cute and fun and kind of makes you think of Roswell, New Mexico area, right? So he had great kid songs and he would sing, but he had tons of wonderful cowboy songs and he sang them all. And I'll bet we can find somebody who has a recording of him. In fact, I may have one at home because my dad, we have a family business that we distribute Hearst 15 bean soup nationwide in retail grocery stores. And my dad thought it would be great to have Peso as our spokesperson. And so I know I have Peso singing Hearst Bean Ham Bean Jingles. <laughs> and that would be really fun to find. I'm sure my brother Rick has some of those. <laughs> and um, yeah. What are some of the changes you noticed over the years? There are way more cowgirls now and it's so much fun. 
Not that I don't like having the cowboys, but the cowgirls are, it's just really fun having girls doing it more and more and more. That's a huge change, I think. We didn't have cowgirls when I was, when I was their age. In my 20s, there were not cowgirls. Not many that I knew or remembered. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they were around. What do you remember about the ranch rooms when you came? Well, we were in the farthest one at the time. And it's interesting, my uncle and I were talking about that because I can't remember the number, I think it was 13 and 14, but it was a a two-casita clustered building, and it was the farthest one out from the ranch house going west. And the, the Maricopa rooms weren't there, and then all those rooms and suites that are beyond there now, none of that was all open desert. And then you ran into the um, runway. Right? So you had this huge gap between the runway beginning and all of that was natural desert. And then the big buildings that have been constructed inside what I would have called the desert garden, those none of that was there. I mean, I, I was so surprised when they were able to put them, those, Marip- I think they're called Mariposa rooms. I never dreamed it was had that much room and how big it was. Big, you know, we would run through there at night like trying not to be afraid that something's going to jump out and get us, whatever, you know, creature, and run to our room. And then we had all that beautiful painted furniture, which Susie will tell you, Susie Gantberg, he would tell you who that designer was and that painted furniture. It was just fantastic. You, just looking at it and being that room, I'm like at the ranch. The floors, concrete floors with rugs over the top, and, um, you know, all the wooden furniture and the painted. And they were very, I always thought they were really comfortable rooms. What do you think brought your parents back year after year? Well, that's an interesting question in that I, what brought them back year after year was that this was a family gathering point for them. They liked that my parents, their my mother's parents were here and my my parents enjoyed being here and they would come and, we would come together and be here year after year at the holiday time. We always came, the, interestingly enough, we came the day. Sometimes when we were really little, a few times we came before Christmas. But as we got older, interestingly enough, we stayed home to Christmas Day. And then the day after Christmas, we would fly out here and stay the rest, you know, for another 10, 12 days. We would have off and we would stay out here. Um, and then spring break, we'd come back. So I just think they liked that it was a good family gathering point, and they had a lot of fun here. And um, my mom and my grandma, I can remember them making hats. They would make hats for New Year's Eve, funny hats. I can, <laughs> I have to dig those pictures up somewhere too. And so they would, they, that would be the theme for New Year's Eve, and you'd do a funny hat, and everybody would wear a funny hat. And so they'd come up with crazy. I can, I can remember my mom making a plaster of Paris apple pie I know and a foil thing with flags and and or cherry pie with cherries I just remember thinking this is insane and my grandmother making a funny great big cowboy hat with flowers all in it you know no recollections of that I remember going into um, town into Wickenburg when the little grocery store I'm trying to think of what's there now it was the only grocery store in town so it was before Bashes with my grandmother um, also, we used to go into Frick's Indian store, and Mr. and Mrs. Frick would, um, and it's where the health food store is on that side of town. 
on the north side of the street as you're going into town on 60. The building is still there, and Mr. and Mrs. Frick, though, would go up and buy from the you know Indians on the reservation and bring incredible jewelry down. And kachinas, a lot of the kachinas that you saw in the other room were purchased from Mr. Frick. How know. has Wickenburg changed over the years? Like everywhere. You, you just can't even believe the expansion. But at the same time, they've done a really good job at keeping the skyline true, not let a lot of overly big buildings be constructed. The downtown is pretty charming. They've really tried to maintain what that looks like. Probably the museum was is probably the newest building downtown, and that's not a new building. My grandmother was involved in the construction of, you know, when they were raising funds, and she was part of the women's group, maybe, that used to help the museum and probably still volunteers at the museum. So I think they've done a Overall, they've done a really good job, and I certainly love the little Chamber of Commerce that they've done with the train station. And I was talking with somebody who used to ride a train out here and get off there. Robo? Yeah. He told me that the other day, which is great. I thought, that's a good story. So Wickenburg, yeah, you know, would it be fun to look north right now and not see anybody's houses there? But I know that's unrealistic. Yeah, I say I really would like to see Wickenburg try to be a dark sky crew. I would love that. I've been a dark sky association member for a while now, and I would love to see Wickenburg strive to do that. I would like dark skies. I don't like the glow of Phoenix creeping up upon us. So that was always something that was really striking here to me. The dark skies of a clear night in the desert, unsurpassed. They're amazing. And I'd like to see that maintained. So what do you think kept you and your family coming back? What kept me personally coming back is my grandmother really did instill, help instill the love of the natural world here. So I'm a huge desert plant lover and I love all the creatures and I I love the vista. So I personally love being in Arizona, and I love the Southwest. That's what really keeps me coming back here then. Of course, it's wonderful to have roots here and the history here, and I certainly have enjoyed that. And it's rich for me. I'm lucky because I have a really rich ranch history that I lean into, but, but that my grandmother really instilled a love of all things that crawl, slither, hoot, howl, <laughs> prick, <laughs> all those things. She she really, she loved it. She loved it. And, and so that really helped me. And I, I love the desert. I'm an outdoor person anyway. So it's, this is not, this is not a hard jump for me at all from the Midwest. What do you think the yeah. legacy of the ranch is? What do I think the legacy of the ranch is? And what do you hope it will be? Well, I, I think that what has occurred here that it's transferred ownership from a family to a group of families is kind of the best we could ever have imagined or hoped for because the families that bought it as a group really they 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 love this place too they love all the history that I've just spoken about and they love the horse life they love the cowboy way of life and I really think 
that the changes that need to be made to help introduce or entice other people to come and fall in love with the desert, like so many of us have, is really important. And that, in essence to me, that is what Dallas and Edie and Rusty and Susie, and that's what they did. They helped introduce a way of life here that people embraced and brought their families to and all that rich history they passed on. I mean, they started. That's what they wanted to do. And I think that's what the new families, new ownership families, I think that's what they're trying to do. And I think the changes they make, every, it's people, we are funny creatures, human beings, right? We don't like necessarily like the change, but we change constantly. Everything changes. So embrace it and be happy. <laughs> good thing. If someone's it's thinking good. of coming out to the ranch, what would you say to them? I would encourage them to come. It's interesting how this ranch has evolved, and I think other guest ranches have too, although I think there's a big push for a, I'll use this word, it's overused, retro experience for guest ranches because originally this was a riding ranch. That's all you did here. And when they built, I remember when there was the big push to build the golf course and that if we really wanted a future it was pushed at that time. I can remember my grandfather and my father and people sitting around, the adults around me talking about putting in a golf course. And then, of course, as a child, I was like, oh, God, you're ruining the ranch. Don't put a golf course in. We're not a city. I was panicked over that. I never Did wanted Did they want the golf course? Everybody yeah. wanted the golf. I mean, I shouldn't say everybody. The adults wanted the golf course. Of course, I understand it was probably the best thing at that point that we could have done for the ranch and its longevity. I think there's other options of things you can do now, but um, definitely the golf course has been a huge plus, and I certainly appreciate it. I'm not a huge golfer, but I appreciate it. I have played, and I'm a huge walker and hiker, so I do walk the golf course. But um, I think that I would encourage people to come because... The desert life um, is really, it's just an amazing, it's so different than any other place in the world. You know, I talk about saguaros and people look at me and they say, well, yeah, but those are planted there. And I'm like, no, saguaros grow in the Sonoran Desert and it's the only place in the world they grow naturally. No, they're from this part of the world. And if you want to see an amazing, surreal, natural environment, unlike anywhere in the world, go to Arizona, go to the Southwest, experience it. We had the city slicker stuff, right? <laughs> Intermixed with the cowboys and the, it's, so it's, this is, this ranch is interesting that it has a nice, it has a nice balance of both. I'm excited about the future of the ranch. I think it's positive. Thank you, Kathy, for sharing your stories and for sharing your passion for the ranch and the desert that surrounds it. This summer series is winding down and how timely that it's just as the ranch prepares to open for another season. This will be the first season in over 75 years that the ranch will be open year-round. Everyone is busy getting the ranch ready to welcome familiar faces of returning guests as well as new guests experiencing the ranch for the first time. Be sure to tune in next week to hear from a familiar name. Well, you may not know his name, but if you've ever been to the ranch, I bet he knows yours. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Souvenirs Podcast. Till next time. Souvenirs Podcast is produced by Susie Miner. Background music written and performed by Dick Fredrickson.